I love doing it. We're exponentially growing at Mount Sinai, so um, I think it's the cutting edge of oncology, and I think it's a great, um, a great talk now that you can learn about it, and I'm sure it'll be soon upfront therapy for many patients. <laughs> so the objectives of the talk are an introduction, because this is lymphoma, CAR T-cell therapy in lymphoma, because it's approved for that, define CAR T-cells, review current data for CAR T-cell therapy for lymphoma, List, and that's where Juliet and Zuma trials come in. List the complications of CAR T-cell therapy and describe CRS symptoms, identification management, and describe neurotoxicity, identification and management, which are the two life-threatening potential complications from CAR T-cell therapy. And discuss a big issue, accessibility and reimbursement. And then I have a case study at the end. So just, I guess, stop me if you don't understand something or you have a question, and then we'll still have questions at the end. So as far as lymphoma goes, there will be 75,000 new cases of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma diagnosed in the U.S. in 2018. These will comprise 4.3% of all cancers, and diffuse large B-cell lymphoma is the most common form of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in the United States and the world and it accounts for about one-third of newly diagnosed um, cases of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in the U.S. and 40% globally. It is an aggressive form of lymphoma. Standard initial treatment is a combination of chemotherapy, uh, drugs, and a monoclonal antibody with or without radiation. The most widely used treatment is RCHOP, which is rituxin, cytoxin, doxorubicin, vincristine, and prednisone. About 60 to 70% of the people with diffuse large B-cell lymphoma have a lasting response to their initial therapy, such as RCHOP. However, up to 50% of the patients become refractory or relapse after treatment. And the ability to cure relapsed or refractory disease um, with traditional therapy is limited. The rate of response to salvage chemotherapy is low, with a complete response only of 8% a partial response of 18%, and with even that, there's an overall short survival with a median of four months. Relapse refractory disease is treated with high-dose chemotherapy and autologous stem cell transplant. However, 50% of these patients will also eventually relapse, and therefore CAR T-cell therapy may be an effective treatment option. So, CAR T-cell therapy involves T-cells, and as we all know, a T-cell is a type of lymphocyte, a subtype of white blood cells. There are four types of T-lymphocytes, cytotoxic T-cells, or CD8, helper T-cells, CD4, suppressor T-cells, and memory T-cells. Normally functioning cytotoxic T-cells perform surveillance in the body, looking for foreign substances such as cancer cells, viruses, bacteria, and destroy them. Some cancers, however, can evade the immune system, leading to the development of disease or cancer. Immunotherapy, which is what CAR T-cell therapy, is a cancer treatment intended to make the body's own immune system able to detect and destroy cancer cells. What is a CAR T-cell? CAR T stands for chimeric antigen receptor T-cell. It um, is when a patient's own T-cells are engineered in a, in, a, in a laboratory to target and treat their cancer combines the patient's T cells with a monoclonal antibody targeted against the specific cancer. The com all of the c current commercially available CAR T cell products were both developed at um, academic centers, and I'm sure everyone has heard about the ALL in, uh, in uh, University of Pennsylvania and the young girl. 
So the composition of CAR T cells is that T cells from the patient are modified by, act, by adding a chimeric antigen receptor gene to the cell's DNA by means of a viral vector. There are essentially three parts to, the, to a T cell, and that is the external target binding domain, um, the costimulatory domain, and the internal activation domain. Um, the receptor placed on the outside works by the external target binding domain that recognizes a specific tumor antigen derived from a monoclonal antibody. And the costimulatory, and that's where the main difference in CAR T cells are with the costimulatory domain and the internal activation domain that is responsible for activating the T cell, which causes cytokine release syndrome um, and cytokine secretion. T cell expansion and persistence when the CAR T binds to the target. The ability of the modified T cells to proliferate and persist is believed to play an important role in the efficacy of CAR T cell therapy. T cells, however, have a limited time span and their ability to replicate is limited, which can affect the long-term anti-tumor effect. And there, the choice of co-stimulatory signals may influence expansion and persistence. I think we currently have a clinical trial coming out for myeloma that has, um, in addition to the three domains, it's added a memory T cell to it so that it can, it can hang around for a longer time. Um, more recent CAR T cells have additional co-stimulatory domains that further enhance the immune response. So I think you can see, and you can see the progression of the development of CAR T cell therapy. This was the first one with just the monoclonal antibody, the co-stimulatory domain, and the activation domain. So as time went on, people added more um, co-stimulatory domains, and now this is the most recent one with more multiple, with multiple co-stimulatory domains. The process is that much like an autologous stem, it is like an autologous stem cell transplant, um, CAR T cells are removed from the patient by apheresis. Um, they're sent to the laboratory where they're um, injected with the um, chimeric antigen receptor and the co-stimulatory domain and all. The millions of them are grown ex vivo in the laboratory. The patient receives some um, lymphodepleting chemotherapy and they are... Uh, T cells are, and they're infused into the patient, and they work for months up to, we'll see, that some, some of the studies have shown that CAR T cells persist in patients' peripheral blood up to uh, a year, 355 days. So T cells are taken out. They're sent to the laboratory. They're manufactured in the laboratory ex vivo. Millions are, um, are grown. They're infused back into the patient and where they do their job. The foundation of CAR T cell therapy are T cells. The process begins, as I said, with drawing blood from patients and separating out the T cells by apheresis. Subsequently, when they're sent to the manufacturing laboratory, an inactive virus vector is used to deliver the genetic material into the DNA required to produce the T cell receptors. They're expanded in the laboratory to hundreds of millions of cells. The patient receives lymphodepleting chemotherapy um, just to provide a so-called environment conduce conducive to accepting the CAR T cells. It induces lymphopenia to facilitate engraftment and expansion of CAR T cells. The final step is the infusion of CAR T cells in the patient. The engineered cells multiply in the patient's body, and with guidance from the engineered receptor, they recognize, attach to, and kill cancer cells that have the target on their surface. 
as I said, survival of the CAR T cells is known as persistence, and the ability to produce more T cells after infusion in the patient is known as expansion, and proliferation or expansion and persistence are key to highly active CAR T cell therapy and its efficacy. Uh, so the CAR T cells used to treat lymphoma have been modified by creating a receptor for CD19 on the cell surface. It is important to target antigens that are expressed predominantly on the tumor cells, such as CD19, which is found in most of the in B cell malignancy. However, CD19 is also found on some normal B cells. Um, the CD19 receptor on the T cell guides the cell to the targeted CD19 protein found on cancer cells. Um, so multiple myeloma has um, BCMA being the primary antigen that, um, that, that is targeted. So binding to the CD19 um, lymph positive lymphoma cell results in T cell activation, proliferation, and target cell destruction, or better known as CAR T activation, which is what we all wait for after the infusion. So this is a little complicated, but how the main difference, what makes one difference than the other, one uh, uh, CAR T cell different than the other, even if they're both targeting CD19. So um, T cells won't activate unless an antigen-presenting cell provides both the target and a second signal to an appropriate receptor. So CAR T cells have the second, sig uh, second signal built into the construct so that the interaction with the target antigen triggers both the kill signal as well as the go-ahead signal for full activation. Different, different companies use different, use different go-ahead signals. Um, so, as I said, and many use more than one co-stimulatory. These co-stimulatory domains may increase CAR T-cell cytokine production, increase T-cell anti-tumor activity, and increase survival of CAR T-cells in the in individual aid in expansion and sustained expansion and persistence. So for lymphoma, um, between 2017 and 2018, two CAR T-cell therapies were approved by the FDA. Chimera, I cannot say these names. Um, you can see TIS, A, I can't say them. Approved for treatment of patients less than 25 years of age with relapsed refractory B-cell ALL. And it was also approved for adults with relapsed refractory B-cell, diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. Um, Yascarda, AxiCell approved for adults with relapsed refractory diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. All are for relapsed refractory disease that fail to respond to current treatment, uh, respond to current or, to re, or have recurred after two lines of treatment. Both target CD19, which is expressed on most B-cells, including B-cell malignancies. So now here, this is the information from the two clinical trials for the two separate CAR T-cell companies and drugs. Um, that led to its um, FDA approval. So the Zuma trials, I think they're up to Zuma 7 right now. Um, and these you might know as the Ascarda or Kite. Um, the phase one portion of the Zuma 1 uh, trial included only seven patients with refractory large B-cell lymphoma. They received lymphodepletion with standard what most of the clinical trials have, which is cytoxin. 500 milligrams per meter squared daily times two, and fludarabine 30 milligrams per meter squared um, daily times three. The CAR T cell target dose was 2.0 times 10 to the six per kilogram. Some, some uh, current CAR T cell 
trials do per kilogram or just a standard um, million, 100 million dose. The important thing is that there was 99% manufacturing rate, um, and not all, not all patients' autologous cells can be um, manufactured. We currently had have a patient who did not have successful manufacturing um, after, after a first try. They're working on a second try. So, and the median time from leukophoresis to delivery of cells was 17 days. So during that time, they manufactured and they were expanding. So five of the seven patients, or 71%, achieved an objective response within one month of infusion. Four of the seven achieved a CR. At 12 months, three were ongoing CR. The dose-limiting toxicity was the primary endpoint. There was one dose-limiting toxicity of grade four CRS and neurotoxicity, and the patient died, but they felt it was unrelated to CAR T-cell uh, therapy. The patient had an intracerebral bleed while being on Lovenox. So the toxicities, as with FDA approval of any drug, they look at um, the degree of toxicities and are they manageable. So the toxicities for these, all patients experience CAR T-cell-related adverse events of any grade. Grade three was the highest with 57%, and grade four was the one, pa uh, one patient. No grade five CAR T-cell deaths occurred. Cytokine release syndrome occurred in 86% of the patients, and as we see, that occurs in mostly all, um, all of our patients. <laughs> the most common CRS symptoms were fever, 71%, hypotension, 43%. Tachycardia, 29%. There was one grade three hypoxia that was occurred in the same patient with the dose limiting toxicity. Six of the seven patients received the antidote, IL 6 antagonist, tocilizumab, and four of the seven, or 57%, received steroids for management of cytokine release syndrome and/or neurotoxicity, and four patients received both. The median time to development, which is important in all in all all these. Um, CAR T cell therapies is the median time to development of cytokine release syndrome. In the Zuma 1 trial, it was one day with that, that was the median with a range of zero to three days. Um, and it lasted seven days with a range of three to 17 days. The median time to development of neurotoxicity was four days um, with an, a range of one to four days. And the median duration was eight days and lasted up as long as 20 days except for the patient with dose-limiting toxicity with intracerebral hemorrhage, uh, cytokine release syndrome, and neurotoxicity were self-limiting and reversible. Um, CAR T-cells cell, CAR demonstrated peak expansion within the patient within two weeks of infusion and continued to be detectable at 12 months in patients with ongoing CRs. Going on, same company went on to phase two portion of the Zuma drug, and there were two, this was a much larger study, and there were two co cohorts, um, one with diffuse um, large B-cell lymphoma or transformed follicular lymphoma, and they also combined the results from the cohort one. Um, their disease had to be refractory, progressive or stable as the best response to the most recent cycle of chemotherapy, or relapse disease within 12 months after auto stem cell transplant, and none of these clinical trials, and no CAR T cell includes any uh, CNS lymphoma because of the neurotoxicity complication. So the primary obje objective of this study was a CR and a PR. Secondary endpoints were overall survival, duration of response, progression-free survival, incidence of adverse events, 
blood level of CAR T cells and cytokines, obviously safety, and biomarker assessments. From November 2015 to September 2016, 111 patients were enrolled in 22 different centers, and I think that was multiple continents. All patients underwent leukophoresis. Again, there was a 99% um, success rate for manufacturing the cells, and I'm told by all of the companies that's pretty impressive since I didn't have that in, and then they said it should be in. So not all patients can have CAR T cells manufactured. They, again, received low-dose, uh, the same fludarabine and cytoxin um, lymphodepletion. And 101 patients received a single infusion of CAR T cells, 2 times 10 to the 6th, um, per kilogram of body weight on day 0. Um, and again, remember, this is leading up to the FDA approval of this drug. So an objective response was 82%, and a complete response was 54%. 23 patients who had either a PR or stable disease converted to a CR as late as 15 months after treatment. The median follow-up follow -up at the time of FDA approval was 15.4 months, and the duration of, not response, uh, of response was not established if the patients were at a CR because they closed the data. At 15 months of follow-up, progression-free survival was 41% and overall survival had not yet been reached by the time the data was closed. All 101 patients had adverse events. Um, grade 3 or greater was 95%. Um, neutropenia was the most common, 78%. All these patients get, and we'll see later in another slide, that they all get uh, pancytopenic. The most common of any grade, again, were, was fever, first sign of cytokine release syndrome, neutropenia, and anemia. No new CRS or neurotoxicity was noted at six-month follow-up. Cytokine release syndrome occurred in 93% of the patients. Most were low-grade. Grade 1, as you can see, 37. Grade 2, 44%. Grade 3, which is the most common, grades 1 and 2. Grade 3 is 9%, and grade 4 was 3%. The most common symptoms of cytokine release syndrome, grade 3 or higher, were fevers, hypoxia, hypotension, and vasopressors were used in 17%. And for, the, for the, this Zuma trial, the median time after infusion to the onset of CRS was two days, with a range of 1 to 12. And the median time to resolution was eight days. Neurotoxicity occurred in 64% of the patients, grade 3 or higher in 28%. And neurotoxicity presented as encephalopathy, confusion, aphasia, uh, somnolence, Early symptoms included word-finding difficulty, attention or calculation defects, and difficulty in handwriting. And the median onset occurred at five days with a range of 1 to 17, and resolution at day 17. Peak expansion was significantly associated with neurologic events of grade 3 or higher, but not with cytokine release syndrome. So as the cells expanded in vivo, the higher the cell dose got, the more likely the patient was to get um, neurotoxicity, but not necessarily cytokine release syndrome. In vivo, CAR T cell expansion within the first 28 days was in the first 28 days after the infusion was significantly associated with, um, with lymphoma response. And as you can see, that's P less than 0 0.001. And expansion in vivo was 5.4-fold greater among responding patients than non-responding. 
impressive that CAR T cells peaked in the peripheral blood within 14 days after infusion and were detectable um, in most patients at 180 days after infusion. Three patients with ongoing uh, complete remission at 24 months still had detectable CAR T cells in the blood. So that's that expansion and persistence. Expansion was significantly associated with a positive response. As you can see, significant at P less than 0.0001. Second drug um, were the Juliet trials. And this was a single arm, open label, multi-center global phase two study. 27 centers on four continents. Again, diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, um, relapsed or progression of disease with, after two lines of therapy. 141 patients were enrolled. These patients also got fludarabine and cytoxin times three days or bendamustine times two days. 141 patients were enrolled. 85 patients received CAR-T-cell. The dose there is there's no per kilogram. Dose was 3.1 times 10 to the eighth. 85 patients were evaluated for safety and 51 for response, meaning that they had completed three or more months of follow-up or discontinued early. The median time for follow-up was um, 3.7 months. The best overall response, meaning a CR and a PR, was 59% significant at P uh, less than 0 0.001. Complete remission was 43%, and a partial response was 16%. CAR T cells were detectable in the peripheral blood for up to 355 days in responders, and the overall survival rate at 12 months was 49%. So this led up to the uh, FDA approval. Toxicities, again, uh, where CRS occurred in 57%. Um, mostly um, grade two, grade three. No CRS-associated deaths occurred. 16% of the patients received uh, TOSI for CRS management. Neurotoxicity was 13%, had grade three or four, managed only with supportive care. No cerebral edema was reported. And the median time to onset of CRS was three days with a range of one to eight, and the median duration of CRS was seven days with a range of three to 34. Nearly one quarter of the patients who experienced CSR were admitted to the intensive care unit, and 22% of the patients experienced hypotension that required intervention. 11% received corticosteroids for CRS management. As you can see, the adverse events there, I'm not going to go through them all. Cytokine release was, of all grades, was the highest at 57%, followed by infections, pancytopenia. Um, the overall response, all patients who achieved a CR at three months remained in CR at uh, data cutoff, which was six months. The median uh, duration of response and overall survival was not reached at, at the time of the data cutoff, and 79% of the patients were relapse-free at six months. Quantitative PCR-detectable CAR T-cells in the peripheral blood of those who responded for up to 355 days were detectable. There were no cases of cerebral edema or death due to CAR T cells or cytokine release syndrome. So an interim analysis of the phase two Juliet trial of CAR T cell therapy in patients with relapse refractory diffuse large B cell lymphoma, as with the other, the other one, indicated that um, this therapy achieved high response rates and durable complete remissions. The feasibility of centralized manufacturing was also demonstrated and adverse events could be um, effectively and reproducibly managed. 
So that led to the uh, FDA approval in 2017 and 2018 of the two primary CAR T-cell drugs. Potential complications of CAR T-cell therapy includes tumor lysis syndrome, anaphylaxis, cytokine release syndrome, neurotoxicity, and hemophagocytic lymphohistiocytosis, but the two primary ones um, are cytokine release syndrome and neurotoxicity. As you can see, just a picture of the complications. Tumor lysis syndrome, as we all know, can be a life-threatening complication of any treatment with, that causes a breakdown and dying of cells. This tumor lysis in this, in, in this instance occurs either from chemotherapy or, CAR -T, or the CAR T-cell infusion. It's a group of metabolic complications, including hyperkalemia, hyperphosphatemia, elevated uric acid, and hypocalcemia. It has been known to occur as much as a month or more after CAR T-cell therapy. Again, the CAR T-cells are expanding. They're persisting. There's constant cell death, so tumor lysis syndrome can occur farther out, and it's standard supportive therapy. The most common side effect or, uh, of CAR T-cell therapy is cytokine release syndrome. Um, it is, should be considered an oncologic emergency. It occurs when there's activation of T-cells or when the T-cell receptors or CAR, uh, recognize and engage with the antigens expressed on the tumor cells. It correlates with CAR T-cell 19 activation and expansion, and essentially it causes a generalized inflammatory response. Uh, the activated T-cells release cytokines and chemokines, including IL-2, IL-6, interferon, among the main ones. And there's a dramatic increase in these cytokines, as well as uh, C-reactive protein and ferritin. Also, bystander immune cells release cytokines also. Severity of cytokine release syndrome may correlate with the dose of T-cells and tumor burden. It can be life-threatening and is considered a medical emergency. But some also say just like you need to have a little bit of graft-versus-host disease in order to be free of leukemia when you have your bone marrow transplant, you need to have a little bit of tumor lysis syndrome to know that your leukemia is being killed. Some people, you know, you wait for cytokine release syndrome, may be necessary for efficacy. And it's pretty remarkable how the patients every day wait for this and say, nothing yet, no fever, no nothing yet, because they know that if they develop cytokine release syndrome, it's probably means the CAR it does mean the CAR T cells are working. So the goal of management of cytokine release syndrome is not to extinguish all evidence of cytokine release syndrome, but to prevent life-threatening toxicity while minimizing the potential for anti maximizing sorry, the potential for anti-tumor effects. This is a standard, um, I'm not going to go through it all, but it's a grading system that's used by everyone as far as, um, it's by Lee, everyone refers to it as a grading system for cytokine release syndrome. And essentially it's, you know, grade one can just be, and we'll go through the myalgias, fever, um, and it's just supportive care. Usually don't start to think about tocilizumab until the patient has uh, greater than grade two. If they have grade two and they're hypotensive um, and they respond to fluids, um, then tocilizumab isn't really necessary. Or if you have a grade two um, patient, as we did last week, who was 74 years old, who had multiple comorbidities, then you want to think about uh, doing more than supportive care and giving the tocilizumab. Grade three is an ICU patient, and grade four is um, an ICU patient with organ toxicity. I think this is a good picture for everyone because this sort of um, identifies 
all the potential um, organ and system complications of cytokine release syndrome and CAR T-cell therapy. So um, it's neurologic, it's GI, it's pulmonary, it's renal, it's hematologic, musculoskeletal, people have just myalgias, arthralgias. So the management is of constitutional symptoms is just Tylenol for management of fevers in patients with normal hepatic function. We usually have a cooling blanket on the floor because these patients usually develop fevers greater than 40. Um, steroids is a no-no as we'll get on. Steroids are never administered to any patient um, on CAR T-cell therapy unless it's with approval of a PI on a clinical trial or if you have a cytokine um, release team, system release team that I'll talk about, only they can approve steroids. Um, avoid Demerol, thinking that it might be an adverse reaction to um, a, a drug, the infusion and allopurinol is given for tumor lysis prophylaxis that starts prior to the conditioning chemotherapy. Sinus tack is very common. These patients are on telemetry. Some are infused in the unit if they're really high risk. We uh, just keep them on it for the remainder of the day. Atrial and ventricular arrhythmias, um, including cardiac arrest, have been seen. Hypotension, secondary to cytokine release and vasodilatation. Hypovolemia from insensible loss from fevers. Or um, patients can get um, a stress-induced cardiomyopathy, and the reduced systolic function can be a result of cytokine storm. We, uh, the management of cardiovascular is we hold patients morning, the morning of infusion antihypertensives, and you can, um, you know, a bit, or you can write, write to receive them. We usually hold the day of the infusion, and then you can write parameters. If they end up in the ICU, then they're going to be held. <laughs> Vital signs are, you know, for us, it's um, pre-infusion. The volume is usually very small, so it's pre-infusion, halfway through the infusion, at the end of the infusion, and then we do Q15 minutes times uh, one hour, Q30 minutes times one hour, Q1 hour times four, and then our standard, which is four hours. Um, so um, we'll get into intravenous fluid, but it's, um, a fine balance between giving intravenous fluid to these patients um, who have high fevers and tipping them over so that they do get um, capillary leak syndrome. So weights are very important. Um, eyes and O's are very important. Um, maintain a net even fluid balance. Um, and the only time we really administer um, fluid boluses if uh, systolic blood pressure is less than their pre-infusion baseline, so it's important to know what their pre-infusion uh, baseline is. And as we go on, there are certain parameters that are universally accepted, I think, for giving a fluid bolus, and if that doesn't work after a liter, then it goes on to vasopressors. So here it is. If stolic blood pressure is less than 80% of pre-infusion baseline and less than 100, give one liter of fluid. If the systolic blood pressure is less than 85, give one liter of normal saline regardless of the baseline blood pressure. If that doesn't work, then it goes on to admit to the ICU and start on pressors. If they, if they do not respond to a bolus of fluid, then you have to get an EKG, an echocardiogram to see if they have uh, a stress-induced cardiomyopathy. Um, and again, patients with hypotension not responding to one liter of fluid should be uh, initiated on vasopressor support, and norepi is the preferred first-line vasopressor. Cytopenias are very common. These people remain cytopenic for months. 
um, particularly due to the lymphocyte depletion prior to the T-cells. DIC has been reported. CD19 is also expressed on normal B-cells, which are also killed by the infused CAR T-cells. So all of these patients have B-cell aplasia, and to compensate, they receive monthly um, IVIG treatments therapy. Management for hematologic toxicity is allopurinol for conditioning. You know, follow your institutional parameters for RBC and platelet transfusion support. Ours are less than hemoglobin less than 7, platelets less than 10, or if they're febrile, platelets less than 20,000. Um, our institutional guidelines, again, are we use CBCs are done twice a day on these patients. And if our, we start nupogen or filgrastin when an ANC is less than 500, but it's your institutional guidelines. Um, all these patients will most likely be neutropenic, and when they develop their fever spike a few hours after the infusion, all this has to be taken very seriously and treated as a sepsis and started on broad-spectrum antibiotics. I also, patients have, um, you can get DIC, so BID, CBCs are, are drawn as well as coags, and the standard is usually for a PTT greater than uh, 1.5 transfuse FFP for um, a fibrinogen of greater than, uh, uh, less than 100, a transfused cryo, and again, those get IVIG to, for B-cell aplasia. Um, all fevers are taken extremely um, seriously. Rapid response comes to all of our uh, fevers, no matter how many times a day it is. They had teaching on uh, CAR T-cell therapy and cytokine release. So most of these patients are on prophylactic antimicrobials until their first spike. Because they receive lymphodepletion, their um, CD4 counts will be low. So if it's less than 200, they receive Bactrim prophylaxis. And they're on acyclovir or Valtrex for um, HSV. And most patients... Um, are on Levaquin also until they spike. Again, all they require broad-spectrum antibiotic coverage. Increases in ALT, AST, and bilirubin are frequent but reversible. Diarrhea is reported but less common than uh, liver abnormalities, and it's treated just with supportive care with monitoring the liver enzymes, dose-adjusting any drugs that are hepatically cleared. And for diarrhea, it's following the usual algorithm for uh, ruling out C. diff. Pulmonary edema is related to heart failure or non-cardiogenic cytokine-mediated pulmonary edema, and pneumonitis has been reported. Renal, the primary mechanism of renal dysfunction is hypoperfusion um, due to cytokine-mediated vasodilatation, decreased cardiac output when they're hypotensive, dehydration from high fevers, uh, or, and tumor lysis syndrome. So capillary leak syndrome is calm, is, can be common. Uh, there's, it's increased vascular permeability resulting in tissue edema and multiple organ uh, failure. Most frequent clinical manifestations of cytokine-induced capillary leak syndrome are weight gain, edema, oliguria, hypotension, and dyspnea. The most severe manifestations of capillary leak syndrome are respiratory insufficiency requiring mechanical ventilation and hypotension requiring presser support, which is why there's a very fine line between rapid response coming up and following the standard algorithm of infusing a liter of um, a bolus, a liter of normal saline into the patient. Um, because it, as you'll see in one of, uh, one of my future slides, it tips them over and they do develop capillary leak syndrome. 
as a result, as I just said. So we have a rapid response. I don't know if in your institution, for any fever, rapid response team comes up and sees the patients. We have developed a cytokine release um, team that um, has a physician on call 24 hours. All nurse mid-level practitioners and nurses received uh, extensive education and REMS uh, teaching for cytokine release. And um, the ICU, where patients may go, also received individual um, IV, uh, individual education. We also notify uh, infectious disease service when patients come in, as well as a neurologist to follow them. So the general rule is, and they know this, is if the patient is hypotensive, one liter fluid bolus is, um, is given. If not responsive, then on depressors. Neurotoxicity is the second major um, significant complication with CAR T-cell therapy. Um, it can present as a wide range of symptoms, aphasia, cranial nerve palsy, hallucinations, seizures, can be fatal due to cerebral edema, it's often reversible, but it can last for days, and its incidence is 0 to 50%. Um, it can occur at the same time that cytokine release syndrome occurs, so it's going to be difficult to determine how to manage, or it can occur at a different time. The pathophysiology of neurotoxicity is uh, felt due to diffusion of the cytokines to the brain, as there are high cytokine levels um, in CSF fluid of IL-6 and IL-15. They've also seen in CSF, um, believe part of the reason is neurotoxicity is trafficking of T cells into the CNS. Those with neurotoxicity had higher numbers of CAR T cells in the CSF than those without. And protein levels in CSF are elevated during toxicity. Important, this is a universal um, CARTOX 10-point neurologic assessment that was, I believe, was developed uh, at MD Anderson. And it's easy to perform for patients. We've built it into our EPIC and our nursing flow sheet, and the nurses will do it at the beginning of the shift and at the end of the shift. And the primary and the uh, mid-level practitioner will do it when they're on rounds. And it's very simple. It's just 10 points, and it's assigned one point for each task performed correctly. A score of 10 is normal. Orientation to year, month, city, hospital, president, which is five points. Name three objects, not recall. Just hold up a pen and have the patient be able to identify that it's a pen. The ability to write a standard sentence. And this is when the patient comes in, they're given a piece of paper and a pen, and they're told to write any sentence that they want to write. And each subsequent day, they're told in the morning on rounds, they rewrite the sentence and count backwards from, from uh, 100 by 10. And you can see the severity, mild, moderate, severe. This is a patient who came in. Number one, the top one is, today I received my T-cell infusion. As you can see, the next one is when he starts to develop probably some degree of neurotoxicity where his writing is not, is not uh, as clear as the first day. The third one is after he got his tocilizumab and steroids. So every day, he needs to, they need to write the very same sentence so you can compare, so you can see the progression. Um, Neuroassessment and preventive measures, as I said, the nurses will um, do CARTOX exam in the beginning and the end of each shift. So there's a focused neuro exam every shift. If patient is at all symptomatic, they go for an MRI to see if there's any cerebral edema. 
In the beginning, we had a neurologist follow these patients daily, but now it's only if, they, if we're concerned about neurotoxicity um, and a, awareness of any potentially sedating drugs or those that can cloud any neuro exam. We hold Ativan um, and all the other potentially sedating drugs. Management is, um, again, and this is only physician, the primary physician, the PI or the cytokine release syndrome um, team can only approve steroids. We have a big black, black box warning whenever you log on to EPIC that says no steroids and no tocilizumab given. So it's solumedrol for severe. Grade 4 or grade 5 is solumedrol, 2 milligrams per kilogram per day, and weaned over several days. Um, Dex Decadron has better CNS penetration, so it's recommended that if you're really concerned about neurotoxicity and it's not a grade 4 or 5 requiring high-dose steroids, just 10 milligrams of Decadron Q6 hours for a few days because it crosses the blood-brain barrier. HLL is a macrophage activation system. Rarely occurs in these patients, but they're sometimes in a subset of patients with severe cytokine release syndrome. Um, uh, um, and this has been reported. In these patients, high fevers are accompanied by hepatosplenomegaly, liver dysfunction, coagulopathy, hypofibrinogenemia, and profound hyperferritinemia. Uh, we recently thought one of our patients had it because her ferritin went up to, I don't know, something like 50,000. Treatment for this is immunosuppression, primarily steroids. It's not all that common in occurrence. So the general management principles for these patients and CRS is it's imperative to obtain a clear baseline pressure prior to initiating therapy that it could induce CRS. Hypotension is a major driver of the severity grading. So important to know what a baseline is and what they were the morning prior to the infusion. Fever or tachycardia can be the first signs of impending shock and more, much closer monitoring. Fever, we had a patient once who just had a tachycardia that was considered grade one and a very low grade fever. A low threshold to escalate to the ICU. We used to send most of our patients who had cytokine release syndrome to the ICU. Now we kind of manage them on the floor by giving them um, the IL-6 antidote that I'll get into, which is tocilizumab. Um, shock is associated with significant vascular leak and pulmonary edema, and only the cytokine release physician, attending physician, or PI can approve uh, steroids. Um, Oh, here's tocilizumab. So the antidote for cytokine release syndrome is an IL-6 uh, receptor antagonist. Since IL-6 is the major cytokine that drives all of the symptoms from cytokine release syndrome, it's usually it's given prior to steroids, does not directly affect the CAR T cells or decrease the efficacy of the CAR T cells. It merely uh, blocks IL-6 symptoms. So it's, um, it's pretty impressive how after you give it and within hours the patient's vital signs normalize. So it's administered to all patients with usually a, a grade 3 or greater toxicity. Now, or, again, it's dependent upon the physician or patients who have multiple comorbidities um, or hemodynamically stable, unstable. Um, can only be administered by a chemo-certified nurse. It's 8 milligrams per kilogram infused over one hour. It's uh, a max of 800. And you have the option to repeat one dose if no clinical improvement within 24 to 48 hours. I think one of the current clinical trials we have says you can repeat it Q8 hour, I think. Um, 
biomarkers to monitor the impending or the development or the progression of cytokine release syndrome is pretty impressive when you come in in the morning and start to round. The two main um, biomarkers we look at are C-reactive protein and ferritin. Granted, both of these are Q-phase reactants and can be elevated as a result of a generalized inflammatory response, but um, they are both um, impressively elevated with cytokine release syndrome. Um, they can be elevated with a, a, during an infection for a C-reactive protein, so it's hard to distinguish between infections and a non-infectious uh, inflammation. And ferritin is sometimes difficult to interpret because these patients are all heavily pretreated and have uh, gotten a lot of transfusions. But if someone comes in with a C-reactive protein of 1.2 and they get their CAR T cells and the next day it's 4.8 and the next day it goes to 12, and the same thing for a ferritin of 100 and the next day it's 200 or 300, most likely that's consistent with cytokine release syndrome. So it's one of the first things we look at in the morning before we round. So here you can see the C-reactive protein and the ferritin. Um, and you can see where the patient got tocilizumab. And within four hours, um, symptoms, C-reactive protein and ferritin decreased. This is the person who, had, who got, this was our first case who got a lot of um, fluid boluses for high fever spikes. His fevers were 40 or 40 plus. Um, we kept giving him more fluid. He was a little uh, borderline. He was a very thin person, so his blood pressure, baseline blood pressure was not that great. But he dipped a little below his normal, so we kept giving him uh, fluid. And he became hyponatremic. His weight went up consist uh, uh, very much. And we gave him, we ended up giving him tocilizumab earlier rather than later because we were concerned that his hyponatremia of 125, 124, um, that we would be concerned that uh, we would, it would be hard to differentiate between his change in mental status due to neurotoxicity or um, hyponatremia. So he got tocilizumab um, early, and as you can see, his weight went down over the next few days considerably, and his sodium came up. Vital signs are, you know, temperature. Temperature is the first sign of, uh, of cytokine release syndrome. So with all clinical trials, if you're doing Q5 minute vital signs, you have to include the temperature. So um, here you can see where temperature was normal, then it went up to um, greater than 40, and the same thing for blood pressure in the, in the uh, I guess it's the blue line kind of dipped low there in the beginning, and the same thing for heart rate. And as soon as he got tocilizumab, things normalized. So it's pretty impressive to see the results of the um, vital signs and tocilizumab administration. Cost is a huge, um, if you read about it, you can see it in all the uh, social media. The mean expected cost of extracting patients' T cells, engineering them to produce CAR T cells, and infusing the cells back into the patient. The Yaskarda or the Axi, Axi cell is 373,000, and the Chimera or the TIS one is 475,000. And hospital fees, supportive care, ICU admission, uh, physician visits could drive a cost uh, of a hospitalization greater than a million per patient, a million dollars per patient. So reimbursement issues are currently being looked at by ASBMT group. Uh, commercial coverage and reimbursement does not seem to be an issue, but Medicare reimbursement is. Medicaid reimbursement covers the cost of the treatment. 
negotiations of single case agreements and commercial um, companies could take weeks between uh, for the hospital insurance companies to come to an agreement. And by then, usually the patients are too sick because these patients, you know, are have been heavily pretreated, nothing has worked, so they've kinda, they're kind of beaten up by the, com- by the time they, they um, come to us and, you know, for a CAR T-cell therapy. So waiting, waiting, waiting for insurance approval leads to progression of their disease and, um, you know, and then they might not be able. You don't want to put a patient, you don't want to give one of these patients CAR T-cells who, you know, there are certain requirements that every institution will develop once you, st- once you start it. You know, they're creatinine, um, you know, their liver functions, and also their uh, um, performance status. You know, anything less than 70 or 80, you know, you have to think twice about giving. So we've developed, as I said, a CRS team within the hospital, all our REMS certified. Um, nurses and mid-level practitioners, um, it involves those who are, extru- who are knowledgeable. New people, new nurses and new uh, nurse mid-level practitioners have to complete training and uh, be familiar with it. There's a CRS physician on call 24 hours a day. There's weekly meetings with the physician, nurse, nurse practitioner, pharmacy, et cetera, to discuss potential patients. ID is involved, ICU, uh, team is involved, neuro, and when the patient is discharged, mostly now patients need to stay in the hospital for 14 days because one trial showed um, a bad outcome in a patient who was discharged who ended up having CRS and tumor lysis syndrome after day 14. So it's a requirement now that all patients stay in the hospital for 14 days. And then the ER needs to be notified when they get discharged in case they're, they are discharged to a local hotel, um, cannot go home, um, especially if they live far away. And the ER has to be aware that this is a CAR T-cell patient when, and has the potential to come back in. So CAR T-cell therapy is a, pro- is, promising, is a promising form of personalized immunotherapy for patients with certain malignancies characterized by specific antibodies such as CD19. It's an exciting area of oncologic uh, clinical research and an opportunity for all clinical Um, oncology practitioners to expand their knowledge and skills. This is for your reference. I'm not going to go through this. This is standard, and it was on the um, ASBMT, I think, um, website for education. And this is, you know, determine how to to deal with a cytokine, uh, a CAR T-cell patient. So the first step is to determine if the subject has cytokine release syndrome. We actually have laminated... um, algorithms for this that all practitioners carry around in their pockets whenever there's a CAR T-cell patient. So the first is, you know, if they have a fever, if they're hypotensive, if they're hypoxic. Next is to determine the grade, and you can see grade one, vital signs are okay, no management is required, no organ toxicity. Um, And there it just says the management, you know, Tylenol, cooling blankets. Hypotension is the leader fluid bolus. Um, same thing. This is neurotoxicity to decide, determine patient's degree of um, neurotoxicity and how it's managed. Good as a reference. Grade one is just vigilant supportive care, limiting um, drugs up to, you know, grade three or four where you give steroids and you get MRIs. That's it. Questions? Questions? 